0: Today on Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, we're coming to terms with our need for spiritual renewal.
1: I believe that God moves best in people that are yielded, willing, and that come saying, Here I am. I'm in need of you, God. Speak to my heart. Do something in my life. I'm not resisting you. I don't have all the answers, but God, worked in my life.
0: Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. Mark is senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago and is president of Moody Bible Institute. Well, some of us have walked with the Lord for many years, and in that time, our passion and zeal for our faith may have dimmed a bit. Here at Bold Steps Weekend, we're committed to helping you renew and restore your relationship with God and rediscover joy and passion for your life. On today's program, that's exactly what Mark is focusing on by teaching us how to experience spiritual renewal and restore our hearts to God. It's the first part of a new series on how to rebuild your life, your city, your world. If you have your Bible handy, turn with us to Ezra chapter 1. Today's message from Mark is titled, Restoring the Wayward Heart, and it starts now.
1: At the beginning of the nation of Israel, God did not choose a nation, He chose a man. His name was Abraham. Abraham actually his name was Abram when God chose him, and then God changed his name to Abraham which means the father of a great nation out of Abraham through Isaac a nation of children sons and daughters began to be born over several hundred years through the loins of Abraham the descendants of Abraham the people of Israel were born several hundred years into their history as God began to move on that people and work on that people they declared, we want a king, like all the other nations have. Did you remember how they were taken into slavery first and spent 400 years in slavery, and God liberated them and then brought them to the promised land, settled them in the the land of Cana, and they began to grow and they began to multiply. All the other countries and all the other nations had a king, but Israel had no king. They just had a prophet. So the people of Israel said, "We want a king like everybody else has." God was disappointed in them wanting to have a king like everybody else has, but nonetheless He gave in to them and He allowed them a king, and He chose a man by the name of Saul. Do you remember that? Saul was the first; he, he was the first king. Saul ended up being a bad king, turning his back on God, and so God chose another king, the second king of Israel, and his name was who? David. David was a man after God's own heart. God spoke to David and he said, I will establish a kingdom that will last for everlasting. Your kingdom will endure through all ages. And it was through the descendants of David that Jesus the Messiah was born. During the reign of David, there was a city that was built. It was called the city of David that we now know as Jerusalem. David wanted to bring the presence of God to that city. And you remember that David took the Ark of the Covenant and with dancing and celebration and a lot of noise and a lot of hoopla, they took the Ark of the Lord and brought it to Jerusalem. David wanted to build a temple for the living God and a palace, but God spoke to David and he said, David, you cannot build a temple because your hands have shed too much blood. So his son, who wrote the book of Proverbs, who who wrote Ecclesiastes, His son, the wisest man in the world, called Solomon, built the temple. Now, this temple, I mean, it was like one of the wonders of the world. It was gold-plated in sections. It took a long time to build. It took the greatest artists of the day, the elaborate architects of the day, to establish this magnificent, huge, powerful temple that would be the place that would house the presence of God. The day they dedicated the temple, they slaughtered tons of animals. They had priests and musicians and hundreds of people singing. And the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God came And descended upon that temple and God stated, I will be here. And the presence of God was so powerful, was so overwhelming, that the priests in that temple could not perform their duties because they were overwhelmed by the power of God. Do you remember that? And from that day on, the temple became the symbol of God's presence people traveled from many nations to see that temple. It became the place where people would come and worship. Within that temple, there was the Holy of Holies. In fact, the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, there was a big curtain that separated the regular part of the temple from the inner court of the temple. The inner court of that temple was so holy, so sacred, that the high priest would enter into that curtained area once a year. In fact, historians tell us that so sacred was that place that the high priest would enter in and first have to offer sacrifice for himself. His long garments had bells at the bottom of the robe and they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case he was struck dead in the Holy of Holies. And no one feared, no one would dare enter in the Holy of Holies, and they'd drag his body out. How would you like to have that job? When Jesus died on the cross, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that curtain that separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies was split in two from the top on down, and it was symbolic that from now on, you and I have access to the holiness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that temple became a symbol of God's presence, of God's holiness. Now, the people of Israel turned their back on God through idolatry. They began to worship other idols, they began to worship other gods, and they began to forsake the ways of God the prophets rose up and said, Israel, turn back to God, but they refused. Tear down the high places, turn your worship back to God, but because they hardened their heart, finally God had had enough, and God said, I will allow other people to invade you. You will be taken over, and the very city that I have chosen and the very temple where I dwell will be torn down, desecrated, demolished. And so, history tells us and the Bible tells us that that in about the year 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed most of the city, and took exiled Jews to Babylon. Jeremiah the prophet predicted that in 70 years, they would be returned to Jerusalem and the temple would be built. And so this temple where God had dwelt, this city that stood for the presence of God, Zion, became a desolate city. Now, three men were raised up in the next 140 years to try to restore the temple, rebuild the city, and bring the presence of God back to Jerusalem. One was a prince, a descendant of David, named Zerubbabel. He was probably at least 10 years old before he could start spelling his name. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a prince. God put on his heart that it was time to return to Jerusalem, and Zerubbabel returned with 50,000 people to begin to rebuild the temple and restore Jerusalem. Years later, after the temple was rebuilt, God raised a prophet by the name of Ezra. Ezra was a prophet. And he went back to Jerusalem, not to rebuild the temple, but to restore the people and to finish the work that Zerubbabel had started. He was unable to finish it. And then some years later, God raised not a prophet, not a prince, but a professional, a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, and under the leadership of Nehemiah, the temple was restored, the city walls were built, And Jerusalem was completed, and it set the stage for the coming Messiah years later. You say, well, Pastor, you're giving us a lot of history here. It's important that you understand the broader picture for the context that I'm about to tell you. Okay, are you still with me this morning? Just kind of nod your head. Now, don't go like this. You know, nod your head as I'm with you, not like you put me to sleep. All right, it's in that context that this story comes into play. Ezra, the first six chapters of Ezra have to to deal with Zerubbabel coming back to Jerusalem and it has to deal with the overall context of renewal and restoration. Now hear me well. Some of you here right now sitting in these chairs in this auditorium are in desperate need of spiritual renewal. Some of you here are sort of like the temple. At one time, your life stood for something glorious and strong and big, and you had zeal in the presence of God. But now, years later, for whatever reasons, you've allowed the zeal of God, the presence of God, that part of your life to be torn down. And you are in desperate need for God to rebuild your life and restore your spiritual life that lies in ruins. If you are here today and you know that you are not where you need to be spiritually, deep inside of your heart you say, I know I need to be renewed and restored, then I want you to open up your spiritual ears this morning because I have a very powerful, poignant word for you. And if you're willing to listen to this word, and respond to this word, I believe that today could mark the beginning of spiritual renewal in your life. Okay? It's about a temple, but it's about spiritual renewal in our life and restoration. What God does with a wayward heart.
0: You're listening to the Bible teaching of Mark Job here on Bold Steps Weekend. We're getting started in a new series called Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World, based on the practical example set by the Old Testament character Nehemiah. And we'll continue with today's message titled Restoring the Wayward Heart in just a moment. So stay with us. Did you know that in addition to this weekend program, Mark's messages also air each weekday on our sister program, Bold Steps. But if you want to listen on your own time, you can also access these messages online, on our podcast, or through the popular Moody Radio app. To learn more about all the ways you can listen to Mark, just visit our website at boldstepsweekend.org. All right, now let's get back into part two of our message from Pastor Mark Job. You know, any movement of God in your life begins with a stirring in your heart, and we see that happening with Nehemiah. We're picking up the message again in Ezra chapter one.
1: I want to begin reading. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, who was a prophet, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, and he put it in writing. And in essence, the king of Persia, king of Babylon, said this, It's time to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. God stirred the heart. Now, Cyrus was not a believer in Jehovah God exclusively. He worshiped other pagan gods, but God had moved in his heart so that he had the desire to begin to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, to restore the God of Jerusalem to that temple, okay? Now, look at verse 5. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, and everyone, here's the phrase. Write this down, underline it. Everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. If your heart is to be restored, the journey to renewal starts with those who are willing to respond to the stirrings of the Spirit calling us to restoration. Let me put it this way. You know, it's interesting to me that you could have several hundred people in the same service, and some of people will walk out, and by the time they get to the parking lot, one person's going to say, you know, it was hot in there today. The music was loud. The message was long. The guy next to me kind of stank. I mean, I didn't get anything out of that message. Nothing. And there's someone else in this very same service sitting under the same message of the Word of God that by the time they get to the parking lot, they'll have come to the altar. God will have touched their lives. They'll walk out of this place with the deposit of the Spirit saying, God spoke to me so strongly, I don't think I'll ever be the same. The Spirit of God was there. Man was God alive. Now they, same service, And after hearing those conversations, you could ask yourself, wait a second, were they in the same worship service? Because it seems like one person got a lot out of it, and it seems like someone else got nothing out of it except a sore bottom. What was the difference there? Let me tell you what the difference is. The difference is the heart with which we hear the message of the Word of God and respond to worship. You see, I believe that the Spirit of God is always speaking. And I believe as you walk in this place, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that the Spirit of God, He goes and He flows through the front row, yeah, and even the back row. And He moves throughout the people, and He moves throughout all those that are listening. He even gets the overflow. Yeah, I see you guys in the overflow. The Spirit of God even gets over there sometimes. And what happens is God is looking for hearts that are willing to be moved, Willing to respond to his word. Now, if your heart is hard, if you're proud, if your heart is calloused, When the Spirit of God comes to your heart, it has to bypass your heart. He tries to get in. He knocks. He works the angles. He looks for an opening. But if you're resistant to the Spirit of God, if you're hard to the Spirit of God, if your mind is somewhere else, if you're not listening, he'll try to to get to your heart. But if you resist the Spirit of God, he'll move on to the next person whose heart is willing to be moved by him. Are you tracking with me? I've had wives that drag their husbands to church year after year and they'll say, I just don't understand it. I mean, I've dragged him here for three years straight and he sits there and crosses his arms and nothing gets through to him. I can't understand how he can sit and hear the word and not change. Don't raise your hand if you're a wife that can relate to that. Please don't raise your hand this morning, especially if your husband's sitting next to you. But here's the thing. God works in those that are willing to let their hearts be moved. Now here we have the sovereignty of God mixed with the will of man. Where does God move? I believe that God moves best in people that are yielded, willing, and that come saying, here I am, I'm in need of you, God. Speak to my heart, do something in my life. I'm not resisting you. I don't have all the answers, but God, work in my life. Now, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in Babylon at that time, but only 50,000 responded to the call of God. Why? The only ones that responded were those that were moved in their heart. Why weren't others moved? Because their hearts weren't ready to be moved. Why weren't others touched by God? They heard the same message. I think every Jew that heard this message should have been moved to go back to Jerusalem. But only those whose hearts were yielded and soft. Listen to the message and we're moved to go back to Jerusalem. So the first thing is our hearts have to be stirred. If your heart isn't stirred, it may be that your heart has gotten so hard that that it's been a long time since it's been stirred. Ouch. Uh, Some of you remember back when you first became a believer, maybe it was 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 7 years ago, When God got a hold of your life, would you sit in a worship service and just the songs of a worship service would make you cry? And when you first came to God, your heart was sensitive and you were stirred and moved and it seemed like every time someone gave an altar call, every time there was a message preached, it seemed like your heart was right there. Why? Because your heart was easily stirred by the move of God, by the word of God, by the spirit of God. But some of you over the years of Christianity have lo- allowed your heart to get somewhat hard. And it's been a long time since you've been stirred by anything. It's been a long time since worship has caused your heart to break. It's been a long time since you felt under such conviction that you had to stop your car, pull over to the side of the road, and cry out to God. It's been a long time since you heard a story that so stirred you that you said, i got to do something about that. It's been a long time since the Spirit of God so moved in your heart that you had to go home and do something immediately about it, ask for forgiveness, talk to someone. It's just been a long time since your heart has been moved. You see, when we start to get hard, our heart isn't moved as much. It's not stirred as much. Because we kind of get hard to things and callous to things. And I want to say God loves you so much that God wants your heart to be sensitive to him. Hear me well. If you don't ask for your heart to be softened, God loves you so much that he'll lead you to the point where he will break your heart into softness. You see, we either choose to bow our knee and soften our heart or God will lead us to the point of softening our heart himself. That's what he had to do with the people of Jerusalem. He had to have their city destroyed, their temple burnt down. He had to destroy the very things that were precious to them so that they would come to the point that they would finally call out to God and say, God, why are we like this? Please help us. I've prayed to God oftentimes and said, God, if my heart ever gets hard, Lord, I pray that you would soften and it's on its own because I don't want to be broken by your hand. I want to be moved by your hand to be soft but not broken by your hand of discipline. God, help me to be sensitive. Amen? So the second thing that happens here is not only our journey starts when we begin to hear his voice, and some of you maybe this morning or for some time, you've been hearing the voice of God calling you to soften your heart calling you to renewal calling you to restore things in your life the second thing that I see here is in chapter 3 verse 2 chapter 2 goes on and he lists all the families that went back to Jerusalem and I don't have time to read it all but in essence to summarize chapter 2 there was close to 5,000 people from Jerusalem that chose to go back to Jerusalem to leave Babylon, back to Jerusalem, and to engage in rebuilding the temple. So this entire group of people, 50,000 people is a lot of people. To get an idea of this, uh, the United Center seats about 20,000 people, right? So so a rough estimate would be two packed out United Centers. So that's about 50,000 people right there made their way to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So they get to Jerusalem, and I want you to imagine the scenario. There were some older men among them that had been to the original Jerusalem. They had seen the temple in all of its splendor. So there's the young and the old. They gather, they come to the city, they enter through the gates. Now the young people had heard about Jerusalem. Some of them had never been there before. Most of them were born in exile. And they heard about this city, the city of God. They heard about this magnificent temple that David ushered in and Solomon had built. They heard about the days of old and the splendor and the Shekinah glory. They heard about how one day they were feared throughout all the nations. They heard how the favor of God rested upon Jerusalem and their enemies were slaughtered before them. They heard about the commandments and the the history and the tradition that they had. They heard about how one day this was a place that the favor of God and the face of God shone upon Jerusalem over all of the earth and now they were finally there as they walked in the walls of that city what they saw was a city in ruins the embers of fires long extinguished can be seen there is no temple there is no gold there's an old foundation in rubble
0: A powerful message from our Bible teacher, Mark Job here on Bold Steps Weekend. If you've missed any part of today's message called Restoring the Wayward Heart, feel free to catch up anytime by visiting boldstepsweekend.org. Just look for the series called Rebuild. Speaking of building, have you ever watched a group of ants at work? Their tiny bodies manage to carry leaves and other objects many times their size. But they can only achieve these great feats when they work together. No single ant carries the weight alone, and this is a great picture of how this radio ministry functions. To keep Bold Steps on the air, it takes a whole lot of gifts from many different listeners. Have you ever thought about joining us as a Bold Partner? The monthly contributions from our Bold Partners go a long way in helping us fulfill our mission to share the gospel around the world. You can sign up and learn more at boldstepsweekend.org. And here's a special thank you for your support. If you decide to become a bold partner at $30 or more each month, you'll enjoy a 50% discount on the entire Moody Publishers catalog for you and your family, half off as often as you like for as long as you're a bold partner. Learn more at boldstepsweekend.org. And then before we close, let me remind you to request your copy of our latest bold action gift. It's a refreshing look at the Lenten season written by Daniel Darling. It's called The Characters of Easter the villains, heroes, cowards, and crooks who witness history's biggest miracle. We'll be happy to send you a copy of The Characters of Easter when you give a gift of any amount to support this ministry. To make your donation today, go to boldstepsweekend.org. Well, that's all the time we have. I'm Wayne Shepherd On behalf of the entire Bold Steps Weekend team, have a great weekend. And be sure to join us next time when Mark continues with part two of his insightful message, Restoring the Wayward Heart. That's next time here on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.